0: My name's Ian Pavard. I'm a co-editor of Thorax, and I'm delighted today to be talking to Scott Rice, who's the Professor of Medicine at the Canning Division of Network Medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital, Harvard Medical School. Now, Scott uh, was a senior author of a review in the May ATS special issue of Thorax on the genomic origins of asthma, and I must recommend this uh, excellent review to our readers Scott, could I ask you to briefly summarize what, your, what the main themes uh, that you develop in your review are?
1: Well, uh, thank you. First, uh, thank you very much, Ian, for uh, uh, having me on and uh, giving me a chance to talk about this article. I think that the first overarching point here is, is that environmental factors that um, the mother uh, is exposed to during pregnancy um have an influence on uh, uh, the fetal programming uh, um, of development uh, uh, during fetal life. Uh, and this was a theory that was uh, uh, originally came from a famous British uh, epidemiologist uh, named David Barker, but it's only now in the era of genetics and genomics that uh, people have started to really study how environmental factors experienced by the mother during pregnancy set uh, what what happens in the fetus going forward. I think that uh, one of the clues that this is important in complex traits is that if you look at GWAS hits, hits that come from genome-wide association studies that are associated with diseases like asthma or, or COPD, or, uh, for that matter, uh, uh, obesity and high blood pressure, there's a disproportionate number of genes that are active during fetal development which seem to be associated with these diseases. So the general overarching principle is maternal environment uh, uh, influencing fetal genomic programming uh, uh, influencing disease and the review article specifically looks at a large number of these but uh, specifically um in utero smoke exposure related to the mother's uh, uh, own smoking and dietary factors like uh, vitamin D folate folic acid factors such as this so that that's the general approach to the article
0: yes and of the environmental factors operating through the mother i uh... I suggest that smoking and in-uterized smoke exposure is one of the strongest factors that influence postnatal lung function and lung development. Would you agree with that view? And what do you think the likely mechanisms? Is there a genetic perspective here that we should be aware of?
1: I do agree that, that that smoking is a very important exposure for lung disease uh, as smoking during pregnancy and um you, you know going back to uh, uh the late 70s early 80s um there were a number of articles that implicated uh, mothers uh, cigarette smoking as uh, an an important uh, uh, risk during pregnancy as an important risk factor for the development of asthma in children and more recently uh, um in utero and postnatal smoke exposure has been linked to COPD, so I, I, I think it is an important exposure. In the United States, it's about uh, um, 13 to 14 percent of pregnant women who continue to smoke. Um, and in the review, we we point out that uh, one of the ways you can monitor exposure is by looking at maternal levels of cotinine or cotinine in the placenta. That's Placental codening is what we're using for our genomic studies, and we've actually now identified a a, a set of gene modules, collections of genes, that that are upregulated and downregulated during pregnancy uh, uh, in fetal lung samples. So uh, a a genomic signature for the smoke exposure uh, with one of these modules that's uh, specifically linked to asthma. Early life, so a gene expression module which contains some known asthma genes and some novel genes, which is linked directly to an eternal cigarette smoke uh, exposure in utero
0: yeah and I think this this topic is particularly important as there 's recent evidence I think we were discussing earlier um, published in JAMA that uh, treatment of pregnant women who smoke with vitamin C supplements might prevent the um, the consequences um, on fetal lung function. Have I got that right? And uh, would you like to speculate on why that might be?
1: You do have it right. This was a paper from uh, uh, the Oregon Health Sciences Center. Cindy McAvoy is the first uh, uh, author on this uh, randomized controlled trial. Uh, And they used a relatively small dose of vitamin C. It was only uh, 500 milligrams. But As you know, uh, vitamin C is a known uh, uh, antioxidant. And so the the hypothesis was that by feeding the mother antioxidants uh, that could potentially counter the effects of the uh, smoke exposure, uh, that you could then influence uh, what happens uh, in the fetus. And the outcome measures in that study were neonatal lung function, lung function at one year and uh, symptoms of wheezing at one year, and they don't have any genomic data, but presumably this is an example of what um, we would term fetal reprogramming as a result of a change in the maternal diet that's countering a potentially toxic environmental exposure.
0: Oh that, that that's uh, very interesting. The the other environmental factors that you consider are uh, folic acid and vitamin D. Uh and uh, I suspect particularly vitamin D the evidence is a little bit more variable and uh difficult to understand, but do you, do you have any comments on um folic acid and vitamin D and their role in lung development uh, and the genomics of that?
1: Uh, well, let me take the folic acid first. I, I think that um, there's a substantial body of literature to suggest that folic acid in particular is what uh, we would call a methyl donor. By donating methyl groups in the diet, you can change the epigenetic marks that exist in the fetal genome, and there's a recent, recent paper in Nature Communications saying that amount of methyl donors in the diet will actually be reflected in the epigenetic marks uh, that can be seen in the fetal DNA. So folic acid, as you know, uh, can change coat color in mice uh, uh, depending on its dose and has been looked at as a potentially important factor in fetal lung development. The results of recent review articles, including ours, suggest that folate is probably not a major factor in asthma for two reasons. One is humans seem to be different from mice and the effects that have been observed in mice with regard to allergy are not seen in humans, at least in the human data. But the second factor that I think is important is because folic acid is routinely supplemented in the diet of pregnant women. A folic acid deficiency is is not a real public health problem. So for both of those reasons, both the animal data being discordant with the human and the fact that folic acid isn't uh, deficient means that it's likely that it's not playing a major role, it, that it's important in fetal development, but po- probably not at this time playing a major role in disease.
0: Um, What about vitamin D? Yes, um, in vitamin D, because again, there's uh, a lot of conflicting data, which I find quite difficult to make sense of, and I don't know if you've got a a view.
1: I want to agree with you first. There is conflicting data. There's no question about that. I I think that, um, and there was a recent controversy at the recent ATS meeting when the results of the VITA trial were uh, uh, presented, which we have a minute, we can t- talk about that. But with regard to specifically the issues of primary prevention and, and uh, the, the role of vitamin D in the maternal diet and, and, and primary prevention, th- there seems to be a difference in the literature between studies that have looked at the single measurements of vitamin D uh, uh, levels measured uh, in the serum versus the studies that have focused on vitamin d in the diet with the dietary studies all suggesting that there's an important protective effect and the uh, serum level measurement studies of which there are fewer uh, showing no effect and and i I think that this has to do with um, lack of understanding of uh, vitamin d biochemistry and 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 unfortunately a lot of the people that are doing research in this area have not paid enough attention to the biochemistry of vitamin D. The one one thing that I think is important and different between vitamin D and retinoic acid as potential exposures uh, and folate and vitamin D as potential exposures is, is that if you use the endocrine society criteria for vitamin D sufficiency, most pregnant women are deficient. The vast majority of pregnant women have vitamin D levels below 30 nanograms per mL, uh, and many have uh, uh, levels below 20 nanograms per mL. As many as 70 to 80% of pregnant women would fall into that category. And there's an important paper, a randomized controlled trial done by Bruce Hollis that would suggest that supplementation with 4,000 IU of vitamin D during pregnancy will raise the pregnant woman's vitamin D levels to uh, 30 or above, which is, the level that most investigators think is important for the non-skeletal effects of vitamin D, like uh, the immune effects. So uh, I I think that there's a substantial amount of mouse and rat data, probably 30 or 40 articles demonstrating that vitamin D is important for alveolarization of the lung during the third trimester. It's important for surfactant production. It's synergistic with steroids with regard to a sort of completion of the developmental process. And we have just published a genomics paper suggesting that the vitamin D may be acting as early as the 10th week of pregnancy and have an impact on airway development. So there's a substantial amount of literature suggesting that vitamin D is important for fetal lung development and that Pregnant women are deficient. So, in the area of primary prevention, there's observational data that that supports an effect. Uh, and now, with this paper that we've published, an, a, a clear evidence that it's related to uh, uh, transcriptomics of the fetal lung. So, there, there is something going on there.
0: Your your findings imply that if you're going to supplement, you're going to have to get in very early. Potentially, some of the trials haven't done that.
1: Yes. Well, I I think that there there really has been no reported trials in the primary prevention area. There is observational data in the primary prevention area. The recent trial that was reported by the um, Asmanet group at this past ATS, I I think they didn't treat with a, a, a dose to get people to sufficiency. The trial was underpowered. Uh, They didn't follow the people long enough. And they had a 40% reduction in exacerbations in the trial, but it was not statistically significant because they didn't have enough. So there was a number number of deficiencies, I think, in the design of the recent VITA trial uh, uh, that that was really focused on older young adults as opposed to what we're talking about here, which is more, primary prevention related to fetal manipulation of the transcriptome. Scott, I want
0: to thank you for giving us uh, some time to go through your excellent review article. And I want you to b- wish you the best of luck for what I think is a really important work, which you're very much a leader in. Um, thank you very much, Scott.
1: Uh, Ian, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, hopefully your readers will uh, enjoy hearing about uh, this, this area of investigation. Thanks again.